Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church, Texas. Sure if you guys uh, follow me on social media, but a few weeks ago, uh, my wife and I share a calendar and I saw a notification pop up and it said uh, October 1st, put up Christmas tree. And I thought, oh, what the heck? That's a little early. Like, what's, what is this? And I, I reached out to Taylor. I was like, is this a mistake? Did you accidentally put it down a month or two early? She's like, nope. I, I put down what I meant. And I thought, okay, well, you know, we, we just had the blessing of moving into a home in early February. And so she's like, I want to take full advantage of this season and enjoy it as long as I can. Well, last Monday, i uh, getting off from work and I'm on my way home. And as I, I walk into the door, I'm greeted by the sounds of the Justin Bieber Christmas album. If you have not been blessed by that album, you need to check it out. Um, I, I have no shame in admitting it's one of my favorites. But uh, I walk in and I hear Justin Bieber playing through the speakers. And I look into this room and I see bright colors flashing off the walls. I kind of had a flashback to my clubbing days. And I walk in and I see... This Christmas tree has been erected in the living room, and there's fully decorated tinsels, ornaments, lights, all this stuff. I look down at my watch, and I'm like, it's September 21st. It's almost two weeks before the agreed-upon calendar date. And I'm like, babe, what, what is this? Why the Christmas tree up so early? And, you know, and, and the wisdom that, that wives know how to speak in, because I said so. And today is that day. So y'all pray for me, because we have three weeks of, we're skipping all the other holidays. We're going straight towards Jesus' birthday, and we're going to celebrate it for three months, maybe four, who knows. If you want a Christmas party, come to the Washington household. So today, I'm excited I get to continue this series because I said so. And one of the, the underlying questions that I hope you ask yourselves throughout the, this message is, what is God saying to me? And even more so, what has God said to me? We're going to be looking at a few different stories, a few different verses, and I'm excited to share a lot of things that I've learned recently with you all. Uh, last week, Pastor Joel talked about how we are in the season of Rosh Hashanah. And if you're unfamiliar with the Jewish festivals, permit me a minute or two to explain something that is to me, the, the Jewish festival, something that I've been learning is, is something that us in the Western church needs to pay a little bit more attention to. Um, when you look in the scripture and you're reading the Old Testament, maybe you're studying Greek and exploring that, or we look in the Old Testament and we're looking at things in Hebrew eyes, it, it's important for us to have this biblical worldview, to understand that as we're reading scripture, there's a certain culture, a certain language, a certain setting that things were addressed. And as we begin to understand some of maybe Jewish culture or Jewish tradition, it's only going to illuminate some of the intentionality that God put in place even from the beginning of time. There's, there's certain things that I'm beginning to understand. So I'm in this journey, no matter, some of you may have already started this journey, but I'm starting to see some of these parallels that exist in the Bible that God put into place, how there's seven days of creation, and each day has a specific Hebrew meaning, and how there's also seven feasts of God, and how there's seven churches in Revelation, and I'm seeing all these things that have a parallel, seven colors in the rainbow, and there's all of these things that God has put before us to giving us a shovel to, to enjoy the journey of digging and understanding new levels, new depths of things that are right 
in front of us. So, so yes, in your Bible, of course, we encourage you to read it, understand the English, dive into things, but, but also challenge yourself to maybe get a little bit of a deeper worldview of some of the things that are taking place, especially with Rosh Hashanah, it being a feast of God. Almost every major event in the Bible took place around a Jewish feast, around a Jewish holiday. So God is trying to show us something. He's trying to reveal something to us. He's trying to get our attention with something he's doing. And also the, the Jewish calendar is sort of God's calendar, you can say, because of that it's, it's lunar-based, and even the first day began at night and ended at the day. So there's, there's so much for us there. But here's what I, I want to point out for us, this brief thing. In, in Rosh Hashanah, it, it mean, it's the Jewish New Year, and it means head of year. It means head of the year. Uh, a, a picture there is that where the head goes, the body follows. I'm not sure if any of you, uh, maybe you have young kids or you've seen young kids learning to walk. It's an hilarious and cute thing, right? They're slowly finding out the strength of their legs and they're pushing off of, off of items and they're hitting their head on things throughout the living room. And it's fun because it's cute. They're learning a new skill and it's also hilarious. And maybe the new parents a little scary as you see their head crash into the wall for the fifth time. But as a, as a, as a toddler, as a baby is, is learning their strength and they're pushing off of items and they're trying to walk. One of the things you regularly see is, is their, their head is still heavier than the rest of their body. And so wherever their head leans, the rest of their body goes. They look like some of us used to look doing our sinful days, leaving the bar, and they're, they're, they're stumbling everywhere. But that's the picture. A drunk toddler, that's not what I'm saying. It's the picture that, that where the head goes, the body follows. Where, where we decide to start a year, where we decide to, to do, to become, that's where the rest of the year will follow, the head of the year, something to pay our attention to. But even more importantly, us as Christians, if we truly see God in his rightful place as head of our lives and us as the body, us as the church, where God chooses to take us, where he wants to lead, we should follow. This is the season we're in, the head of the year. And how does that relate to something Pastor Joel highlighted at the end of his message last week? Last week, he, he talked about the year that they're celebrating in Jewish tradition, 57 81, 5781. And he described this phrase that it's a year for divinely protected new beginnings. How does all of this relate? Here's what I want to do today. Pastor Joel introduced us a little bit to the what, what they're seeing, what we can prophetically uh, proclaim. And I want to dive a little bit into the how. So I would, I would definitely encourage you to check to take some notes. Uh, th there might be some new things for you to look up and study later and definitely to dive into. So uh, we're going to go through each of those numbers and explain some things that I believe God has for us today. As many of you may know that the Hebrew alphabet is not just letters. It's also words. They're pictures. They're numbers. They're phrases. They're sentences that as we read things in the Bible, we might look at three words, but it means more than what we just see. God is inviting us into this depth of understanding. So let's have some fun here. This first number in 5781, Pastor Joel told us it's the hay. It, it means to behold it's in the thousandth spot, so it's calling us to behold something is happening. That The picture there is of the eye. God is wanting to draw your attention to something. Are you paying attention? He's about to start something. We need to be alert. And then we get to the seven. The zayin is, is the, the word in Hebrew. 
And Pastor Joel highlighted how it's the sword. It means divine authority. But one of the pictures there is the plow. The plow. What does that mean? Well, we look at the phrase, behold, divinely protected new beginnings. There are no new beginnings without some work being done. New beginnings require plowing. New beginnings require a plow, some work. But it's more than just us doing it. It's us partnering with God. Jesus gave us this analogy in Matthew 11. As he said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He's saying that some of us have tried to start new things by ourselves, and we realized we labored in vain because we did not include God in what we were trying to do. So he's saying, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The seven, the Zion, it's a new beginning, but there's, there's a plow attached to it. There is some work that must be done for these new things to be birthed. So the question to ask ourselves is, is what is God calling you to co-labor with him on? What is God cal calling you to plow with him on? Another question you might even ask yourself, are you in the place of your purpose? Are you in the place of your purpose? You don't want to be plowing the wrong field, plowing in an area that God did not call you to. Are you in the place of your purpose? I I'm reminded of... Uh, Pastor Joel showed us about his journals last week and how he's an avid journaler, and I try to be disciplined and work on that skill. Uh, but I, I have a journal that chronicles my college years. And as I look through it, it's a black book, which is perfect because there's plenty of blackmail in there and things I don't want a lot of people to see. A lot of my low points in life, some, some times where I was extremely depressed and lonely, and then some times where I had some deep encounters with God. But if you were to look in that journal, which hope I never gets publicized or found by my kids one day, um, as you look through the journal, you'll see this regular pattern. As it approached the new year, I would write down all these things I hoped to do, who I hoped to become, who I would associate with. I would write down these dreams and these goals. And then you would see a few days later a similar journal entry where I realized I failed at all these things already. I'm, I'm disappointed in myself for what I decided to do New Year's Eve. I barely remember it. I partied so hard. I wake up and I'm looking around wondering, where am I? What am I doing with? Who are these people was a regular occurrence in my life. And I wonder if God is asking you, and it's definitely the question I had to ask myself, am I in the place of my purpose? Have I been trying to set these goals for new beginnings, but I didn't include God and asked him how he wanted me to do them, where he wanted me to do them, what he wanted me to do? I'm reminded of a story uh, uh, found in 1 Kings 18 through 19 of the prophet Elijah. Many of you may know this story. It's a great story. He's called to bring correction to King Ahab. And while he's bringing correction to King Ahab, God, he challenges the prophets of Baal who served King Ahab's wife Jezebel. And he challenges them to a simple competition. Let's both build some altars, put some bulls on it, and whichever God can send down fire from heaven on that sacrifice, that's the God we'll choose to worship and many of you may know the story, the prophets of Baal, all four, 450 of them, they spent all morning and afternoon crying out to their God. They started cutting themselves, mutilating themselves, hoping their God would be pleased with their sacrifice, and nothing happened. 
And Elijah called out to God, God, show your people, your people of Israel, that you are real, that you are here, that you are present. And God set down fire on the altar. And not only did it consume the sacrifice, it consumed all the water they poured on it. He poured about three, six different jars of water in the middle of a drought on the sacrifice. And, and so the people are amazed, like, God is the real God. And King Ahab goes to his wife Jezebel, who was wicked and manipulative, and tells her everything that transpired. And she gets angry. Elijah killed 450 of my priests. So she sends a message. Elijah, by this time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as the priest that you killed. Elijah runs for his life. He runs. He finds himself 40 days, 40 nights later on the side of Mount Horeb in this cave. And God has this conversation with him. God asks him a simple question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? And then God shows up. Elijah explains what he's doing there. He's like, man, the, the people aren't following you. I'm the worst prophet. I'm no better than my father's. It's better off that I be dead. Take me now. Kill me now, God. And God's like, all right, man, this guy's struggling. Okay. And so God comes, and you, you read this interesting passage where God comes, and then the, the, the earth responds to his presence where wind is blown and mountain rocks fall and an earthquake happens and fire happens, and God was not in any of those. And then he just walks and talks and whispers to Elijah again, what are you doing here? Elijah comes out of the cave, talks to God. God gives him some, some purpose. He gives him a mission, and sends him back on his way. But as I read that story, and I encourage you to read it, there's so many details in there that are just great and powerful and amazing. But I wonder if God is asking some of us, what are you doing here? What, what, this place that you find yourselves in, is this the place that I called you to be in? What are you doing here? Or maybe some of you, you know the purpose that God has for you, but you, because of fear of rejection or fear of failure, fear of man, fear of not measuring up, you find yourself in this cave of compromise. This cave where you're, like Elijah, he was 260 miles away from his purpose where God had him. And maybe you feel like, I am so far gone from the path that I know God has me on. But if you read the story, you see the beautiful invitation that God is offering us as well, to come out of that cave of compromise, that cave of insecurity, to see we're standing on this mountain and to have God speak to us our mission and to tell us what we are to do and that he's still here for us and that he still loves you and that there's a purpose for you. And I would encourage you, if you feel like maybe you feel far from your path, far from your purpose, maybe even far from God, there's three things we need to remember, and I would encourage you to write these verses down to remember them later. Philippians 1, 6, where God said he will always finish what he has started in you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, God will never leave you nor forsake you. Or Joshua 1, 9, where God encourages Joshua, I will always be with you. Be strong and courageous. He's always with us no matter where we find ourselves. So what does this mean with the Hebrew New Year? As we talk about seven and Zion and new beginnings in the plow. This year, we must learn to plow with God in the place of our purpose. And how do we do that? Maybe daily, you ask this question to God. God, how can I partner with you today? How can I partner with you today? Or maybe instead of looking at your calendar and seeing all the things you have to do and saying, man, look at all this list. How do I accomplish everything I need to do? Maybe we just ask God, God, what do you want to do with me today? What do you want me to do?
There's this story I know, and this hopefully will be an encouragement to especially businessmen out there. My parents told me about one of their friends. He's a chiropractor. Uh, he's a, a Jewish scholar in Dallas. And the thing he does every day, he gets up early. He gets with God and says, God, what do you have for me today? What patience will you bring to me? And then he writes down every symptom, every person that he'll encounter. So he walks into the office, and he already has the solution for people that are going to come in his doors. What if you treated your business that way? You see, you have a bunch of meetings, or you have this client to meet with God. What do you want me to bring to the table? What do you have for me today? Let's look at the next letter. Eight, the sheth. Eight, the sheth. It means new beginnings, but the picture there is a fence. A fence. Why is that important? Because if God wants to start a new beginning, and he wants to put you in a place to plow, he's going to want to protect it. We all know that if we move into a property, or we, we love our fence line, we want to keep ourselves separated from our crazy neighbors, or keep the crazy neighborhood kids out of your yard. A fence is a sign of protection, but it, even more so, it's a call to us to intentionally separate from those things that don't align with God's will for your life. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a place, maybe it's a news source, maybe it's your favorite comment, social commentary, maybe it's another voice. This fence is a call for us to intentionally build walls with God away from those things that don't align to what he's calling us to. Why? Be because if we can't ask the question, what is God calling me to separate from, we'll find ourselves often deceived. Being, starting off in God's protection, listening to other voices, and before we know it, we invite them into the fence, and we realize that it was a wolf in sheep's clothing, and they sought to destroy the new beginning that God wanted to create with you. Or we, we find ourselves like the sheep Jesus described, where you started in his protection, and you heard other voices, you heard these other opinions that might have sounded good and convinced you this might be a place to go, and then you find yourself outside of the protection subject to being destroyed by the enemy. What is God calling you to separate from in this season? And in fact, we can't look at, we, we often look at boundaries the wrong way. We, we, we see it as God, God keeping us from something. He's keeping me from that place I like to go hang out at. He's keeping me from that group of people I love to. He's keeping me from these things I enjoy rather than seeing boundaries, seeing offense as God keeping us for something. He's keeping you for a new beginning he wants to do in you. He's keeping you for a relationship with him. I'm, I'm reminded of one of the first stories in the Bible in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they were given boundaries. God told them directions. You can enjoy all of this, subdue it, run it, do not eat of this tree. And while Eve has a conversation with the serpent, she hears what he says. And you even see, you see it in Genesis 1, uh, 6, or sorry, 3, 6, that she looks at the tree and she sees that the fruit is good. She looks at the tree and she sees that it's to be desired to make one wise. She looks at what God told her not to participate in, and she sees good things. But she missed the deception, the evil that hid underneath it. 
And that's often the place we can find ourselves in when we're not sensitive to God's spirit and where he's leading us. And you look at the story, and we know what happened. She gave the fruit to Adam. They, God comes in the cool of the day as he normally did, and they're hiding. They clothe themselves. And what question did God ask them? Similar to a, a question that he asked Elijah, he just, he says, where, where are you? Where are you? And they say, God, well, we hid. We realized we were naked. But he wasn't speaking about their physical state. They were focused on their physical state, how they became naked in that moment. He was talking about their spiritual state, recognizing that they were once naked and unashamed. They once had close intimacy with God. They were able to walk with him, talk with him, see his mind, see his purpose. They had such close intimacy with God that they didn't realize while being deceived, they lost it. Maybe God is asking us that same question this morning. Where are you? I'm not sure if you used to be someone who could spend hours at God's feet. And now you're like, God, can you just tell me something? I got three minutes, got to go. Or maybe you were someone who, who, who not only would talk to God, but then you would wait for God to talk back to you. And sometimes we find ourselves just, we give God our worries. We tell him about our cares and he's happy to listen. He's our, he's, he's our father. He loves to know what's going on in our heart. But have we fallen to a place where we care more about expressing our opinion and thoughts rather than waiting to hear his? Where are you? Where are you? It's, it's that question is an invitation back to intimacy, back to closeness with God. You know, this weekend is Yom Kippur in the Jewish tradition. It's a time where they look at all their sins and they try to work to be better. But we understand that Christ died for us. We have freedom. But this might be a time, a season for you to ask, Father, or even repent. Father, I repent for the times where I valued my interests over yours, where I valued my thoughts over yours. We have to come to a place to see that God's fence is freedom. Within his fence is freedom. Within his fence is a covering. It's, there's intimacy. There is protection. If we want to see this new beginning that God wants to birth through you, we have to be willing to submit to his boundaries, to his protection, to his parameters. Here's what I want to look at next. This combination of, of the seven and the eight, the plow, the divine, and the fences, new beginning. If God is going to start something new in you, and if we're going to start something new within God's framework, there is no new beginnings without becoming a new creation. If God wants to bring something new through you, he will also do something new in you. And there's no becoming a new creation while remaining comfortable. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We are already a new creation. If you're in Christ, you're already a new creation. But I think sometimes we put a pigeonhole on God's changing power with things like personality tests. I'm a six. I'm a seven. I'm an ETFJ. I'm a doer. I'm a shaper. And while those things are helpful with communicating with team members, while it's helpful to maybe understand where we are, if where we are doesn't align up with who God has called you to be, you have to be submitted and humble enough to change. 
God, this is just, I am who I am. No, I believe God said that. He's never changing. And, and if we're going to be in this relationship with Jesus, wouldn't it make sense that over time more about you would change to become more like him? I feel like we've pigeonholed God's changing power. God, show me what I have been unwilling to change about myself. That might change some of the way we, we engage with our spouse. That might change the way we engage with our kids. God, show me what I've been unwilling to change about myself. It's, it's almost as if, some of us, you may know this, the medieval torture method, where if someone murdered someone, they would strap the body to the person who murdered them. So as the corpse decayed, the person would also decay with the corpse on their back. And I feel like that's what some of us do with old mindsets. We bring it around with us. God has already declared you a new creation, but when we see what's strapped on your back, you have a lot of old habits, old, old boundaries, old interests, old circles of influence. Are you choosing to carry around the corpse of what Christ killed on the cross rather than choosing to be the new creation he died and declared you are already? There is no new beginning without becoming a new creation. There is no new beginning without becoming a new creation. We're in the decade of the pay. 5781 is the year, but 5780 is the next nine years. The pay means the mouth. If you, if you, I would encourage you to even go back and watch Pastor Joel's message from last year as we talked about the importance of us proclaiming and prophetically saying what God is saying. We're in that decade but we're about to understand a picture that might challenge us a bit. So get ready. Buckle up a little bit if you haven't already been buckled up. I want to look at the one really fast, the one, the Aleph, which is, which is God. It represents God. And there's, there's so much about this letter I wish I could dive in today, but for the sake of time, I won't. But the picture there is an ox, an ox. And when you see the ox, it's talking about strength of leadership, strength in leadership. And we see this in so many times throughout, throughout the Bible. That, as I said at the beginning, there's work to be done. There's a, there's a pl purpose that God wants us to plow, and you plow with an ox, and that's important. And often you use two oxen, and, but we, it requires us to be submitted to God, the ox, his leadership. Why? Because the ox is used in every aspect of farming. It was used to till the ground, to toil the ground, to prepare it for seeding. It was used for seeding, and it was also used for collecting the harvest. We have to involve God in every process of what he is calling us to begin. We can't just start the new beginning with God and like, oh, I got it from here. I'll collect the harvest. I'll, I'll be able to grow everything else myself. He wants to be involved in every process. And even more so, the, the ox is focused on the mission of its master. It's, it's, it's focused on the, the job that it has in front of it. When we're yoked, submitted to Jesus... We'll know where and how to plow. We'll know what we're supposed to do. That's the, that's the imagery that Jesus was painting in Matthew 11, that two ox were yoked together, and that the older, wiser ox would show the younger ox what to do. Here's how you plow. Here's where you plow. Here's the boundaries. Here's the fence, so that it can accomplish the will of its master. If we have to be submitted to God's leadership, if we want to accomplish what he has for us. But let's take it up a notch. The 80 does mean pay. It's the picture of the mouth. And the one does mean God. It means ox. But there's a side of this that's also very intriguing. 
The Aleph is a silent word. It, it, it has no sound. It gives sound. It gives meaning to words that surround it, but in and of itself, doesn't make a sound. And there's this whole Hebrew study about how that represents Jesus and God before anything existed. But then the, the question we have to ask ourselves and the, the perspective we have to understand is that there's also strength in silence. When we look at the, the life of Jesus, we see him demonstrating both. The power of speech, the power of speaking, and also the power of knowing when not to. I think uh, the, the message, the series we just finished, Taming the Tongue, was more prophetic than our staff even realized. As we were called to tame our tongue and, and partner with God on what to say, this is exactly what the Jewish year is pointing to. Let's look at a few verses. If you missed the series, go back and watch them, but I want to remind you of two verses in James. James 1, 19 through 20, where it just says, if every, for every person to be quick to hear, but slow to speak, slow to anger, Anger of a man does not produce righteousness of God. Or James 3, 9, it says, with our tongue we praise God, but also with our tongue we turn around and we curse a person who's made in God's image. Out of the same mouth cannot produce both praises and curses. This should not be for those who find themselves with Christ. This year, this Jewish year is calling us to recognize that our mouth belongs to God. And we must let God teach us how to tame our tongue. We must be in a place where we only say what God is saying. And as Pastor Joe highlighted earlier, this is so true. We live in one of the greatest countries in the world, and we have something that no other country ever has, is this freedom of speech. It is powerful. It's meant to be protected. This is something that, that could totally destroy the fabric of a society. But as much as we're citizens of America, we have a higher place where we're citizens of heaven, first and foremost. So that means we're called to a higher standard. Well, what's a higher standard than freedom of speech? The higher standard would be to only say what God is calling you to say. That is what will be the difference between God's people and the people of this world. Is your tongue submitted to God? What we'll see over this next season, especially with Christians, We'll see this a lot, that, that, what, that what you say about what you see reveals whose perspective and timing you're leaning on, yours or God's. What you see happening in the news cycle, what you see happening in your family, what you see happening in your business, what you say about what you see will reveal, have you spent time in God's presence to declare things from his perspective, or are you only speaking out of a gut reaction about what you think might be reality? It needs to be apparent in our lives that we value God's truths over our thoughts. Because as much as we think it, it doesn't make it true. It might make it true to us, but that doesn't make it the truth. We need to value God's truth over our thoughts. And when our thoughts are subjected to God's truth, then our words and our actions will reflect heaven. It's time for us to pursue the language of heaven. There's a few verses I want to share with you guys as we slowly close it. In John 8, 28, 29, we see Jesus demonstrating this. He said, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to God. What if we learn to be in that place where we invited God to teach us what to say, how to say, when to say it, 
That way we can find ourselves doing the things that are always pleasing to God. And then later, John 12, Jesus says again, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. But he also knew this, Matthew 27. He was slandered and accused by the chief priests and religious leaders, and he remained silent. I think there will be moments over this next season, Christians will see many victories happening around the world. And then we'll also see maybe more attacks than we've ever experienced personally, socially. Will you be submitted to God's timing on when to speak, on what to say? Not every accusation demands an answer, but every answer demands heaven's direction and heart. Every answer demands heaven's direction and heart. The decade of the mouth that we're in is calling us to have a submitted heart and a tongue that produces works and speech that birth spiritual fruit. Here's what I see happening with the church. If everyone in this room, if churches around the globe, if we learned to speak from what God is saying, if we learn to speak from the revelation of being in God's presence, we'll see a church that is unified, whose great silence and sound will tear down any wall in front of it. You see this illustrated with the Israelites. They're walking, about to walk into God's promised land. They've crossed the Jordan. They're under the leadership of Joshua. They're about to have their first battle. They're about to experience some of their first, their first little taste of God's promise. And as they're staring at the walls of Jericho, what does he tell them to do? Be silent. I want you to walk around the wall silently. Then blow a shofar and then do that six more days. And then, the seventh day, walk around seven times, and then blow the shofar. And at that moment, I want you to make a sound. The interesting thing about the shofar, it has multiple meanings, but one of its meanings, especially when it's blown with a long tone, it is, it is announcing the, uncoming, the coming of a king. So for six days, all they did with their 40,000 army, they knew, like, we got this. And God even told them, that city will be yours. But the how was important. They walked in silence, and then on the seventh day, then they made the sound that God told them to declare. When we're obedient to what God says, when we're obedient to his methods and timing, we'll see the walls that we have been fighting against for so long tore down, and we did nothing but obey. We did nothing but sing God's praises. We did nothing but declare his coming. And if you look at the story earlier, we see that seven represents new beginnings. Seven represents walls. And what happened to that story? There's seven priests, seven shofars, seven days, seven circles. The Israelites were on the cusp of their new beginning. And as they shouted, God tore down the walls that they didn't have to tear down. When we walk in God's promises, when we walk in God's timing, when we walk in his in his timing, with his methods, when we're willing to say, yes, I can put together a war plan. Yes, I can put together a strategy and instead seek God's presence first. We'll see walls come down. 5781. Behold, divinely protected new beginnings. How do we see this happen in our lives? Submit to God's protection. Submit to God's boundaries. 
and that protection is an invitation into intimacy. Submit to God's protection. Submit to God's number two version of you. Not who you think you are, not who the personality test said you are. Submit to God's version of you. Number three, submit to God's place to plow. You don't want to be in the wrong field. You don't want to toil where there's no fruit produced. Submit to God's place where he's calling you to plow in this next season. And then lastly, submit to God's timing. I want to speak. I want to speak. And even when to be silent. As many of you guys know, we're on the cusp of, of moving into a building at Oaks Church. God is showing us the place he's calling us to plow. He's showing us this great harvest that exists within the city of McKinney. We want to be submitted to his timing, his methodology at every step of the way. We don't want to just come up with something that sounds good or looks good. We want to partner with the organizations God is calling us to partner with. We want to see the lives change that God, how he's calling us to change them during this season. Not just us as a staff, but us as people, us as Oaks Church, us as the church. We want to experience every harvest, every new beginning God is calling us to, and this is how we will see it. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.